0: And so all of us have situations in our marriage that could be potentially bad. It is not the situation that really makes the problem. It's our reaction to it. It's the things within us that causes marital problems. And any of you that have problems in your marriage and you come here, you may think, well, what I need is my mate changed. Another thing you're going to learn, I believe, is that what we need is self changed. If we'll change ourselves, I guarantee you, your mate will change you'll find out it'd be amazing how much your mate changes when you change. Amen? Lots of times it's not your mate that changed at all. It was our perception. It was our reaction to our mate. And so anyway, we're going to be dealing with a lot of those things inwardly. And uh, none of this is said to be hard on anybody. Every time I minister on this, I get plum convicted, all right? (laughs) I get convicted myself. Last time Jamie and I held a marriage seminar, we stayed up till one thirty one morning talking and thrashing things out. Man, it did us a world of good. And we've got a good marriage, but, I mean, it's just a blessing. And so I'm not uh, offering these things to you as condemning anybody. If this steps on your toes, God will heal your toes. Amen. But we're going to try and be just as honest and open as we can. And the marriage is, in America, and sad to say, uh, it shouldn't be this way, but it is. A lot of Christian marriages are in trouble today. And it, there is no reason. Now, I'm not condemning people that have. I know that there's people in this room that probably you were a Christian. Your marriage has failed. Maybe you're here after a divorce or whatever. I don't believe that's the unpardonable sin. I am not condemning you, but I'm saying that there is no reason it has to be that way. There are not some cases that are too hard for God. If we would take the Word of God and apply it to our situation, there is no situation, there is no marriage here that cannot be healed, that cannot be... ...what God wants it to be, and that is a firm conviction in my heart based on Scripture. I've seen it work, and the only marriages I've ever seen fail were people who just refused to apply the Word, or they got weary before they saw the results. They gave up and quit. So I'm not saying that to be hard, but I'm saying it to encourage you that, praise God, there's an answer for every person, regardless of what your situation is. You can get your marriage straightened down if you'll take heed to the Word of God. I also say for myself, I know this applies to rich Tina, that we don't claim to have all of the answers somebody may have something that you feel is just a great revelation from God that We don't even teach on for one thing. I know a lot more than what I'm gonna be able to teach on in these three days So we won't be able to cover everything But what we do know is working in our lives We've seen it work in the lives of hundreds of other people and I just want to encourage you to really open up your heart and Receive from God praise God. Let's turn over here to the book of Genesis And we're gonna begin at the beginning We're going to look at marriage, find out it's the very first institution that God established on the face of the earth. And we're just going to go back to some of the original things. Another thing that we will be saying, and I'm sure that I will compare this a number of times throughout this seminar, one of the reasons for problems in marriages today is because we've lowered our expectation, we've lowered our standard of marriage And that comes because we have been so controlled from the world's viewpoint. Most Christians are watching television, listening to the uh, radio and the soap operas and all of these other things, and those attitudes have infected the Christian realm. And because of it, a lot of people simply have lowered their expectations on marriage. If we just really expected marriage to be what God really intended for it to be, that would go a long ways to solving a lot of problems. Many of us are tolerating situations that were never God's will, and we allow them. And most marriages are failing because of neglect. They're failing because, uh, not because somebody is intending the marriage to fail, but just because of neglect. I'm sure that there's not a single person that ever sat down on their wedding day and talked about their plans for their divorce And how they'd split things up, amen, and you're going to get this and I'll get that Nobody makes plans for a divorce and yet it's happening to a lot of people today and it happens because of neglect The Bible says over in the book of Hebrews, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Satan has an attack against homes And Satan has an attack against homes right here And I know that that's the reason some of you are here Satan is out to get them, and unless you've got a deliberate plan, unless you know what the Word of God says, and unless you're able to stand and defend what God's given you, I guarantee you're you going to have problems. It is not a simple matter of just getting together and it just automatically works. Hollywood would present it that way. You meet your knight in shining armor and get married and just ride off into the sunset and everything's bliss. They never show you what happens after they get married, but it doesn't work that way. I guarantee you, marriage is something that must be worked at and you've got to know what God's Word says and you've got to have some maturity to be able to deal with marriage. And the Word of God will supply all of that to us. But it needs to be a deliberate effort. Here in Genesis chapter 2 is where God created Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man whom he had named. Now there's some important things to see here and without going into great detail I'd just like to mention some of this you may need to study this out on your own and verify these things but the creation is recorded in detail in Genesis chapter one in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 right here he goes back mentions the creation of man and then he begins to talk about like in the eighth verse that the Lord planted a garden now he created the heavens and the earth when he created the trees and all of the fruit-bearing uh, trees over there in the first chapter of the book of Genesis he didn't plant those he created He spoke and they were instantly there, but the Garden of Eden was something that God planted, and the Bible doesn't say, but it implies that if you plant something, it takes time for a seed to grow. And so this Garden of Eden experience, apparently God planted this garden. It was like we would plant a garden today. It was a well-planned garden, and it probably took a number of years. Like, for instance, a fruit-bearing tree, a pecan tree or most fruit-bearing trees take seven years to grow. And so it's very possible, probable in my estimation, that this Garden of Eden is talking about years after the actual creation of all of the animals and all of these kind of things that we see this this sequence right here. And in verse nine it says, Out of the ground God made out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then he mentions these rivers that came out of the midst of the garden, and in verse fifteen it says The Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Now this is important to see, that Adam, and, and I honestly believe that there was a, a lapse of years now it doesn't say that, but again, it's, it, we see the trees were created. It says that God took Adam and put him into the garden uh, to dress it. So Adam was already created. This is not talking about the original creation of the trees, the shrubs, and these kind of things. But this is talking about a separate experience after everything was already created where God planted it. So there was probably a lapse of years involved here while these trees and things were growing. And after this, the Lord looked at Adam, and he said that it was not good for man to be alone. Now, boy, there's some powerful things that we can get out of that. One of the real points that I'm wanting to start with in this marriage seminar is to just stress the importance of marriage, the priority of marriage. One reason many marriages are failing is because people have not put it in its proper priority. They've neglected it, and because of it, Satan will steal from you what you neglect, what you don't focus your attention on. But God said to a man who was a sinless man who did not have any inadequacies in him at all, he looked at him and he says, it's not good for this man to be alone. Now, there's a mentality that's developed today. And uh, again, many Christians have been exposed to it and have adopted it to some degree where people just think that they are better off to be alone. We see a lot of people advocating a free lifestyle. I don't want to be tied down. I don't want to have a commitment. I don't want to be married to a person. I want to be free. I want to be able to do this and that. And subconsciously, they're saying that marriage is not all it's cracked up to be. It's not really good. You'd rather be better off to be just free and doing your own thing. Well, God looked at a perfect, sinless man and said it was not good for him to be alone. Now, that's God's viewpoint on the subject. I guarantee you, with very few exceptions that Paul mentioned over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, very, very few exceptions, it is not good for anybody to be single. That is not the way that God made man to be. God intended for us to be joined together in this relationship that we call marriage. God looked at a sinless man. Some people look at marriage as a weak thing, as somebody that needs a crutch. But here's a sinless man that had no inadequacies in him at all, and God said it was not good for him to be alone, and so that he would make a help meet for him. So the very next thing that he did, and this word help meet simply means a help that is sufficient. That's what that word meet means. In other words, God didn't make him an inadequate help, but he made him a help that was perfect, suited exactly for him. And I want you to know that that applies to every last one of us. Sometimes people may be tempted to think, well, my help is not sufficient, but your help is sufficient. It's exactly what God intended. You may have to cultivate her. You may have to bless her and minister to her and help make her all that she's supposed to be or him all that he's supposed to be. But that is God did supply you with the proper mate. And he goes on to say that the Lord uh, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air. And again, I don't believe that this is speaking of the actual creation of these animals because the creation of the animals came before the creation of Adam as recorded over there in the first chapter. So rather this is talking, it's just simply a reference back to where these animals came from. God created the animals and then he began to bring... Them unto Adam to see what he would call them. Doesn't tell us the amount of time, but you know, there's thousands and thousands of insects. This may have taken Adam years to name all of these animals. It certainly wouldn't be out of line to think it took weeks or months for him to name all of these animals as these animals came by. Now, God had just told, or He said, that it was not good that man should be alone. I'll make an help me for him, and then He began to bring all the animals to Him. Did you know it looks like on the surface, that what God was doing was bringing all of these animals to Adam to see if there was a help that was sufficient for Adam. Doesn't it? I'll shake your head yes or no. I want to make sure you're getting this. All right, he said, you need a helpmate. You need a help that's sufficient for you. And then he began to bring all of these animals to, the, to Adam to see what he'd name them. Now, it looks like God was looking among the animals to try and find somebody or something that would supply this need that Adam had. But I believe, I'm sure that you do, that God's smarter than that, and God knew that no giraffe was ever going to supply my need for companionship, amen, or a monkey or anything else. So I believe God knew it, but the reason for God doing this, I believe, is important because Adam didn't know it. Adam needed to recognize that there was nothing in all of creation that was in his class that could supply the companionship and the fellowship that he needed. And I believe that that's the reason that God brought all of these animals before him to show him that Adam, you know, boy, the animal creation, I get blessed out of it. I was talking with Dave over here about horses. I, I tell you, horses bless me. I get blessed. Looking at horses. There are some tremendous animals. You can get blessed. You know, there's a lot of people that are really into nature. There's bird watchers and people that go out and do all these other things. Praise God. You know, those things were created for God's pleasure and also for our pleasure. You can get a blessing out of creation, but did you know that there is nothing in creation that can satisfy you? And it's important that you recognize that There's some people, especially I'd say probably more men than anything else That have given themselves totally to their horses Or to their sports Or to their hunting Or to their fishing Amen There's a lot of women that every football season They're sports, they're football widows There's women that are are, uh, fishing widows or whatever And a man neglects his family Because these things he thinks are going to just minister to him Supply him with what he needs. But you need to remember this, that there is nothing, nothing, nothing ever created that was in the class to be able to minister to you and supply that need that you have on the inside. I believe God brought these animals before Adam so that Adam would know that and recognize that man, he was he was by himself, that there was nothing in all of creation that could minister unto him. And so after this, in verse 20, it says, Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field, but for Adam, there was not found and help meat or sufficient for him. Adam recognized that there was nothing that could meet that need that he had verse twenty one and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man now God. In creating a help meet for Adam didn't turn to any animal or anything like that, but rather took part of the man out of him and out of the man made for Adam what he needed. Now some of this I believe the principle that I'm teaching right here, I can verify 100% from Scripture. Some of this I'll just present to you is something I've been thinking on. I heard a man, Bob Yandian, teach on some of these things, and it really blessed me. It sounds good, but I haven't had time to verify all of this yet. But the principle, I can verify. Anyway, the principle is that God did not make something separate from Adam and bring to him, but rather took part of Adam and simply made another person from it. Now, Bob Yandian is a Greek and Hebrew scholar, which I'm not. I don't know Greek from Hebrew, all right? But he goes back into all of these scriptures, especially chapter 1, verse 26, and talks about a lot of different things. And he says that Adam not only had this rib taken out of him, but that his personality, his spirit, his life, all of him, was split. And that Adam, as a person was complete by himself he had everything but God came along and took part of him and put part of his personality part of his spirit part of everything that he had into this woman so that this woman was not a separate entity from him but rather a part of him and Adam was no longer complete by himself he had been split into two people And no longer could he stand on his own. He was not complete without that mate. Now, uh, whether it's exactly that way or not, I can say that in the eyes of God, the way that God intended for marriage to function, that that is a true statement. You can see over here in the fifth chapter of the book of Genesis, let's look at this. Fifth chapter of the book of Genesis, in verse 1, it says, This is the book of the generation of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him, male and female, created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Now God was speaking to Adam and Eve, and God called their name, two different people, Adam. God didn't refer to Adam and Eve. God called both of them Adam, and he and Adam called his wife Eve. But when God was speaking to Eve, he called her Adam. Everybody follow that? God looked at them as being one. Did you know we still have a hangover of this same thing in our uh, society today? Like, for instance, my wife was Jamie uh, Harris before she got married, and she became Jamie Womack. She took my name upon her when we got married. We share the same name. And in the eyes of God, she would be called Andrew. Because we are one. The same as God looked at Adam and Eve and called them by one name. It stresses this one oneness, this unity between a man and his wife. Now, I believe that this unity between a man and his wife goes a thousand times deeper than what any of us are able to really conceive. The Word of God stresses it very strong. Right after Eve was created, turning back over here to Genesis chapter 2, after Eve was created, Adam said in verse 23... This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Now here's Adam speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And he said that they shall be one flesh. And he even put the relationship between man and his wife above a relationship of parent and child. Now, you know, with parent and child, we can see physically that there is such a strong unity that that child at one time was a part of that parent. And we can see that. That's our own flesh and blood. Many times we see the coming together of a man and woman as something less, but in God's eyes it's actually a greater union, and that's the reason that God said that for this cause should a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they should be one flesh. The union between a man and his wife is more oneness than between a mother and and her child. Now that is what the Word of God teaches and if if this is exactly, again, I'm saying that I'm not totally clear on this, but if it is exactly true that God took from the man and that woman not only shared a rib, but I mean the, the personality, the emotions, the spirit part also was taken from man and that she literally was part of him and that without her, he wasn't complete and without him, she wasn't complete. Well, then that would be very easy to understand the union and the oneness between a man and his wife. There's such a oneness there That if we ever really understood that I guarantee you We'd treat our mate differently Than what we do Again there's an attitude sometimes Where if you don't do What I want you to do If you don't straighten up If this doesn't work out better I'll just leave Man anybody would say something like that Doesn't understand The unity The oneness that's between you And you don't understand The damage that can be done To a person By breaking that covenant You know Jamie When she teaches on this likens it to taking two pages of this Bible. And if you were to take two pages of this Bible and just totally glue them together, I mean from corner to corner, and glue them and let the glue dry... You know, you would have. It looked like it was one page. Now, that's not a perfect example from what we're talking about, because really, they they did not become one, but they are adhered together. The oneness that God's talking about between the man and the wife are is much much greater than that. But even if you were just to try and separate those two pages that were bonded together, and if you were to try and tear them apart, you might get little pieces apart, but you would never come up with two whole pages. And did you know that that's the reason that God says He hates divorce over in Malachi 2:15 God does not hate a person who divorces God does not hate the the individuals involved in the act this is, you know, one reason that the divorce rate has become so rampant and that the church has lessened their stand on it, even to the point that some people sanction it now. And I heard this one man that sanctions divorce and is teaching that in the body of Christ. And his basic thinking behind this is that while well, people have been condemned for getting a divorce and, and the church has come out and ostracized them, you could be a murderer and get forgiven, but you can't get forgiven from divorce. And did you know he's just about right? That's about how bad it was 50 years ago. And so there's been an overreaction to that to where now people are coming along and saying, it's not the unpardonable sin. Well, I agree with that, but at the same time, that shouldn't lessen our hatred of divorce. See, people have... Overreacted because they've seen people condemn the person who got the divorce. That's not the reason that God said he hated divorce. He doesn't hate the people that do it, but he knows this one flesh covenant. He knows the oneness between man and his wife. And I guarantee you, if you go through a divorce outside of God supernaturally healing you, you are going to be a wrecked individual as a result of it. You cannot come into that union and into that unity and come out of it a whole person. You lose something. There is a oneness that develops between a man and his wife that most people have not acknowledged, but it's clear in the Word of God. And I promise you, if you just understood the one flesh covenant, the unity... That right there would solve many problems in marriage because we would begin to recognize that, hey, this is something that is vital. It's something that's important. This person is not a separate part of me that if it, if it uh, you know, is like a bad part of a tree, you can just prune it and go get you another one. But this is a part of me. I can't reject them without rejecting myself. If we really understood that, we'd give a priority to marriage and it would work out. Did you know back 50 years ago, the church realm did not even consider divorce? I mean, it wasn't an option. And as a result, people had just as many problems 50 years ago as they have today. But did you know 50 years ago, the divorce rate in America was much, much less than what it is today, and in the church, it was nearly non-existent. And you know the reason? Because there was no option. People made it work. People were committed to it. Now it didn't always work the way it should Some people just existed together But I'm saying many people just worked their problems out Because there was no option They were committed to it If we would commit ourselves If we would see the importance of marriage I tell you, much of our problems Would be ironed out right there Amen You know, my dad died when I was 12 years old And my uncle Saffy, before I got married Took me aside and he told me, he says Boy, you're a Wamuck, And Wommacks don't get divorced And then he said, this is not Sears and Roebuck. If you don't like her, you can't bring her back. And in his own way, what he was saying is, boy, you better be committed to this. You better make sure. And did you know, Jamie and I haven't had the problems that some people have, but we've had opportunities for uh, strife in marriage. And did you know that we just, I mean, divorce is not an option. We don't entertain it. And so, therefore, we don't think along those lines. We don't threaten each other with it. We don't speak that. We don't consider it. And because of it, we aren't tempted with it. If you've been tempted with thoughts of divorce, like, man, I'm just going to dump this person and go get somebody else, you need to realign your thinking. You need to go back and see the importance that God placed on marriage. You need to recognize that you became one flesh with that person. And in the eyes of God, you just can't walk away from that person any more than you can walk away from yourself. You may be able to go through a legal separation. You may be able to break off that relationship, but I promise you, it'll cause damage. You cannot walk away from that because there is a spiritual... Unity. There's something that's happened much, much deeper than what you can see. Amen? Everybody follow that? Also, right here in Genesis chapter 2, Adam said this, and this was under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He didn't have a father or a mother. And so he wasn't talking about leaving his father or mother. This was inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He was speaking by the authority of God. And he says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And again, I state that he put the marriage relationship superior to parent-child relationship. Now, I'm going to bring this in because some of you will think, well, this, you know, this doesn't need to be said to a group of adults. But you'd be surprised. Out of all the marriage counseling that Jamie and I have done, I believe well over 50% of marriage problems that we've dealt with are in-law-induced. And you wouldn't think that it would be that way. But I guarantee you, in this group, if you're halfway typical, some of you have some real serious in-law problems. There's one couple that I counseled in Colorado Springs. And this couple, they loved each other. And yet, they were at each other's throats. I mean, they were having uh, screaming, hollering, knock-down, drag-out fights with each other. And when we got to the root of the problem, what it was, the, the man's parents had never accepted the woman. Because she was just not their style. They never did like her. And so they made this non-acceptance or this rejection known from the very start. Not not real openly. They're spirit-filled people. The parents are spirit-filled people. They're they're friends of mine. This was a little hard for me to counsel this family because the the parents that I was counseling against kind of were friends of mine. But anyway, spirit-filled Christians. But they just rejected this girl. As a result, this woman began to start needling her husband like you, you see what they're doing to me? And she began to start condemning her husband. Her husband was a real mousy type of guy. He would not take his authority. He was not dominant. He was real weak as a person. And his wife's not supporting him, criticizing him, made it worse. It didn't help the situation. So the way he responded to it was to get just all that much quieter. And he's thinking to himself, why do I have to say anything? She'll defend herself, which she did, boy. And I mean, she was getting into fights with the in-laws, et cetera. So anyway, it's a long story, but we sat down and counseled him. And finally, I told her that she needed to start letting her husband defend her. And she says, but he won't do it. And I said, well, then you need you need to just take the abuse, but you need to let him take the leadership. And then I told him, I said, you were given a responsibility to protect her, to take care of her, and to do all these. And I said, she is being rejected. Things are coming her way, and you are not taking your authority and headship in this family. So anyway, I ministered to both of them. And after they asked forgiveness and got those things straight, Then I told them, and these are friends of mine again, I qualify this, the parents are friends, and I told them, as much as I love these people, I said, you need to forsake your father and mother, and you need to cleave to your wife. I said, you love your parents, but you should not let your parents come between you and your wife. Your wife should have the top priority in your life, and if your parents are making you trying to choose between the two, there ought to be no choice. That wife ought to be number one in your life. And did you know that they made that choice? As a result, boy, the parents hit the wall. Uh, I heard about it. <laughs> they heard about it. It caused quite a few problems. But did you know that that marriage has straightened out? They're growing. They're, they're improving in the Lord. That's been like four years ago, and even the parents have come back around now. There's another couple that I counsel. And this man had been in the hospital and he had been sick with these uh, stomach problems. And uh, when he got in the hospital, the doctors couldn't find anything wrong with him. But when he got out, he'd eat anything, any type of food at all. And he'd have these severe stomach attacks and he'd go back into the hospital, just back and forth like this. And the doctor said that it was all psychosomatic, that there was no physical reason for it. And so the Lord told him one night when he was staying up sick, uh, told him to call me and that if I'd come over, That I'd minister to him and that he'd get set free. So anyway, I came over. This man told me the problem and told me that I was his answer, that I was supposed to give him a word from the Lord. Man, I was just blank. I didn't have a single thing to tell him. I didn't have a thing. So finally, I said, well, let's pray. And as we started praying, I was just praying for his healing, praying over that home. And all of a sudden, boy, I just felt a real need to pray for the in-law situation. And so right in the middle of the prayer, I just stopped and I started saying, What's the situation with your in-laws? I said, How do you get along with them? And in a nutshell, the mother of the wife, she loved them. But uh, this man and his wife were married. Well, they, they had a child out of wedlock and as a result got on her bad list. Then they got born again and when they first got born again, they went into the children of God, which was nearly worse than being lost. They went into the Children of God movement and did all kinds of weird things, and that totally convinced the mother that they were of the devil. And when they finally got straightened out and came out of that, they had lost all respect from the in-laws. And as a result, this mother just thought they were totally loony, and she was all of the time over there, speaking doubt and unbelief about the kids having colds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all kinds of things. And she was talking about this man and saying, but you're just sick, and you've got this wrong with you. And what it was, Because of a fear of not wanting to offend the in-laws That woman had a right to come into their home To speak death, sickness, disease over them or whatever And they wouldn't stand and counter it Because they didn't want to offend her Nobody else could have got along with that You couldn't have come up and knocked on their door And have come in and said you're going to get sick You're going to go into the hospital They'd have rejected it But see because it was apparent They didn't reject it They would sit there and take it and smile. And then when they left, they'd try and pray it off. But they had never actively fought against that source. And so anyway, as we discussed this, we prayed about it. I said, that's how Satan is coming at you. And that's how Satan is hindering you. And I said, you're going to have to break that dominance of that mother-in-law over this home. And we prayed and broke it. Now, that did not mean that they got mad at her and, and treated her bad. That's not what I'm talking about. But they just made a decision that the Word of God was going to rule regardless of who came against it. And did you know when they made that decision, he was healed that night and it's been over a year and he has never had another stomach problem since then. We were talking about an instance in the car, and since my mother's not in here, I can tell this story, all right? She she really does not like me to tell this story, but it's true nonetheless. But right after Jamie and I had not been married very long, Joshua was about a year old, and she took us on a trip to Tennessee. And uh, we were uh, all going together in the car. My mother, I'd been ministering to her, and she was beginning to believe in healing, but she was kind of back and forth on it. And the week before we left on that trip, She got sick, and she'd been sick all week long, and she started not to go on the trip, but she got well enough, and so she decided to go. But the first thing she said when we got in the car was, you better watch out that Joshua doesn't catch what I had. And I said, Mother Joshua we will not catch what you have. And then we'd be driving along, and he'd be sitting in front of the air conditioner. Oh, don't let the air conditioner blow on him. He'll get a cold. And I said, Mother, you do not get a cold by the air conditioner blowing on you. I said, he is not going to be sick. And then she griped about the finances and talked about, I don't have enough money to be taking this trip. And I said, well, let's not take it, because I certainly don't have enough money to be taking this trip. And anyway, she was just negative. She had five or $600 on her, and it was, she was just down in the dumps, and everything she was saying was negative, negative, negative all day long. I countered it to some degree but not real strong because it was my mother and I didn't want to offend her. So anyway, when we got to Tennessee that night and we pulled into a motel, uh, we were all staying in the same room. We had a little crib that we put Joshua in and did you know I hadn't had him down 30 minutes and I mean he woke up with a cold and this croup, his breathing, you could hear him breathing in the room through the next room through the walls. I mean it sounded terrible. It sounded like he was dying of something. And so I'd go over and pick him up, and I'd grab him and pray in tongues over him and and rebuke that, and he'd stop. So I'd lay him back down and go back to bed, and he'd be up in 30 minutes. We did that from about 9.30 or 10 o'clock until 3 in the morning. Every 30 minutes, I was up and down like this. Kept everybody away. And I knew in my heart where that came from. I knew my mother had been speaking negative over him all day long. But anyway, finally, about 3.30 in the morning, his eyes headed back to bed one of these times. You know, the lights were out. And my mother said, Andy, just admit it. He's sick and let him get in bed with me. And boy, did you know, I mean, this may not have been the proper way to do it. I can't say that I did this exactly the way God wanted me to. But I turned around and I said, Satan, in the name of Jesus, you're the cause of this. And I said, I bind all those negative confessions and I speak it in the name of Jesus. Those negative words aren't going to affect Joshua anymore. And I rebuked the devil up one side and down the other. I'm sure they heard that in the next room too. (laughs) And did you know that Joshua immediately quit breathing hard? He never woke up another time. He never had another problem. That was where that problem was coming from. And that's not totally wrong, see, because a child, when they're growing up, are in submission to their parents. And your parents do have a direct access and inroad into your life like nobody else does. But, you know, when you get married, you're supposed to sever that relationship. And technically speaking, the parents are supposed to sever that relationship. But in most cases, they don't. And I can understand how a parent would have a hard time severing that relationship because you spent 18, 20 years or whatever having that child so totally dependent upon you. And most of us have not begun to wean them and get them away. The parent ought to sever the relationship, but in most cases, they don't. So in my case, I had to sever it. And I guarantee you, when I stood and did that... I wasn't doing that against my mother, I was doing it against Satan. My mother knew better. She was down in the dump, she was discouraged, and she had just given place to Satan, and I explained to her after I had rebuked the devil, I explained to her that, Mother, I love you and I'm not mad at you, but you know better than that, and I am not going to allow the devil to put sickness on my son. And did you know when we did that? For the next three days on vacation, my mother didn't even say one word to us. I mean, it was a great vacation. But praise God I tell you what She's working for me now And we We fellowship together There's a great relationship There's no problem We got over it But did you know We had to have That breaking Now it shouldn't have To be a violent thing It should be With a mutual consent But nonetheless You've got to break that yoke because that could come Between a marriage It really could And on and on I could go with personal stories of people that I've counseled and I've seen that in-laws were a problem. There's some of you today that if God was to call you to go to the deepest corner of Africa over there to be a missionary, there's some of you that you could agree on it. You've both made a commitment to seek the Lord, but you know what your first thought would be? What are my parents going to think? Man, they think we're already off the deep end. What if we go do something like this? How are they going to respond to this? Did you know that shouldn't even be a question to you? You shouldn't allow that to be a hindrance. In-laws have come between a lot of couples. Anything that breaks this one flesh covenant is not of God. Anything that comes in and begins to hinder the unity and that oneness between a man and a wife is not of God. And you're going to have to deal with that situation. Because if you ever break that oneness... Between you. To where your priority in your life is your mate. And I mean there is nothing else that comes before that. If anything ever occupies that position. I promise you that marriage is headed for the gutter. Anything that comes against that one flesh covenant. Did you know that jobs come between that many times? You know there's a lot of men that in an effort. And it's, a, it's wrong thinking. But in an effort to try and provide for their family will sit there and spend extra hours on the job. They'll work two or three jobs or do whatever, trying to provide for their family. And I just want to tell you that the physical needs of your family are not the most important thing. Giving them things will not substitute for giving them yourself. And there are some of you in this room, I'm sure that if we had time, you could testify to that, that maybe you grew up and you had everything except... Your father, he was always gone Trying to do something for you And that's not what you wanted Things, new bikes, cars That's not what people want They want that love and acceptance That wife, it's not the material things that you can get her That's going to minister to her But rather it's it's you And you cannot come under the deception of thinking That providing things for your family Is going to fulfill them That will hinder that one flesh covenant I've seen people that would work apart from each other For months and months and months at a time the man would have to go somewhere to get work. I can understand that there's problems today. I can understand that sometimes you got to do what you got to do. But I guarantee you, if I was in a situation where I had to be apart from my wife for months trying to earn a living for her, I'd change my job. I'd do something. We'd live in a shack. We'd live in a teepee. But that is unacceptable by any standard. You cannot maintain at one flesh and be separate like that. That is not God's will for a man and a wife to be separate like that. Amen. Thank you for that resounding, amen. (laughs) You know, I know that this isn't popular in our society today, but we need to recognize that our society's got something deadly wrong with it because marriages are failing at a higher rate than they ever have before. One of the things that's destroying them is all of these things that are entering into the family that are pulling husband and wife apart from each other. You know, the ERA movement, this is one of the deadly things of it, is the ERA stressing that a woman needs to go out and fulfill herself. And they're telling a woman that fulfillment comes through a career, through money, through recognition, through all of these things. I guarantee you a woman's fulfillment comes through ministering to that husband and being a wife. Now, I'm not saying that that's all that a woman can do. I don't believe that that's all a woman can do. I am not saying that a woman has to be shackled in a house all day long, but I can say that there is nothing you can do that's more important than that, and there's nothing that you can do that will substitute for that. And if you have to sacrifice or compromise your ministry in the home to try and accomplish anything else, then I promise you, you are not going to fulfill yourself, and you also are going to be hindering this one flesh covenant. God didn't intend that The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 When it was talking about husband and wife relationship It says that the man was not created for the woman But the woman was created for the man And I know that when I say some of these things Hopefully I'm speaking to Christian women That you can understand this and appreciate it and receive it But I, you know there's a lot of ERA attitudes That have crept into the church world I mean a lot of them A lot of them but there's a lot of women that are trying to make it in the career realm and to do all of these other things, and what it's doing is, is limiting the amount of time that husband and wife have together, and that is not what God called you to do. We'll be dealing with this more as we get into this. We're going to talk about what responsibilities God gave a man, what responsibilities God gave a woman, and I'm stressing that God gave them. I'm not sitting here drawing on some archaic value system or something like that. I'm talking about what God established in the first place. God established priorities and responsibilities. It's the responsibility of a man to provide for his family out of 1 Timothy chapter 5. He says, If a man doesn't provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he's worse than an infidel and hath denied the faith. God gave that responsibility to a man. He did not give it to a woman. And if a woman is the breadwinner in a home, she is doing something that God didn't call her to do. And ultimately, it's going to hinder... This oneness between a man and his wife. It's a, you cannot do multiple things effectively at one time. You know, it's like Kentucky Fried Chicken. They do chicken right because that's all they do, right? You know, I've learned this in my own ministry that sometimes I'll go to a place and I'll see a pastor. And I'll see his church just going and I'll see so many things that I admire and it's easy to look at that and say, Boy, I wish I could be a pastor. This would be great. I'd like to have a church like this. I'd like to have this, all of these people that I could minister to, all of this fellowship, etc. But you know, God didn't call me to do that. If I was to try and be a pastor, I'd be the biggest flop you ever saw in your life because God did not call and anoint me to be a pastor. God didn't call me to be a prophet. God didn't call me to do a lot of things. I found out what God called me to do, and I'm doing it, and because of it, God's anointing is on it, and I'm blessed, and I'm succeeding because I found what God wants me to do. I did not pick something and ask God to bless it. I could pick to be a prophet. That's a noble thing, but it's just a simple fact. God didn't call me to be a prophet, and I'm not going to succeed as a prophet. I can't pick and choose. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with being a success in the business world or things like that, but you've got to find what God calls you to do. And the number one calling on a woman is to minister to a man. You were made for that man. And that's where you're going to get your fulfillment. And it's a deception that Satan has brought into the world and sad to say into the Christian realm today to get you to think that the thing that's really going to fulfill you is something else. No, it's not. We can see that with, with some other things. We can see people that are out there trying to get new homes, a new car, a bigger house, uh, all of these things, and we think, well, that's foolish. Jesus is what satisfies. But did you know that there's still a craving within many of us that are born again? We haven't experienced the complete fullness of our salvation, that abundant life. We don't walk in it automatically, and many times we get sidetracked into thinking, well, what we need is a new this or that, and if I'll just work and make a little money, if I'll go out here and do this, that'll fulfill me. No, you need to recognize that if you're a woman, God ordains you to minister to a man. That is your calling in life. That's not to say that's the only thing you can do, but that is the most important thing you can do. And until you do that well, you aren't qualified to do anything else. Amen? Some people think, brother, that's hard. But do you know what? The Bible says over in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, talking to a man, talking about the qualifications of an elder. If a man knows not how to rule his own house and have his own children in subjection. He is not fit to minister to the body of Christ. Now that's a scripture that most of us ignore. Well, we don't really have to go by that. Man, if you'd be honest, how many pastors have their house in order? Y'all ever heard jokes about the preacher's kids? And it's nearly taken for granted that preacher's kids are some of the worst ones around. I guarantee if the preacher's kids are the worst ones around, that man shouldn't be preaching.